0: Hey everyone, my name is Kelly Minter and I'm so excited to be here with you. We're gonna be looking at Acts chapter five today. And I've been a part of Rolling Hills Community Church and Justice and Mercy International, which is our mission arm for a number of years. And I'm thrilled to be here with you today. And I think it's really interesting that here we are in this series called We the Church, and yet we're going through this series during a time when we the church cannot be together and cannot meet together corporately. And I don't know how you've been, but when we first started going to an online-only model, I remember sitting on the porch of my friend's house and I had my cup of coffee in hand, and I was really emotional. It was really moving for me, and I was, I was singing along with the worship, and I was teary, and as soon as the message was over, I mean, all I wanted to do was just pray, and I, I mean, it, there was something just so moving about it. And then a few weeks went by and, and it was still really great and wonderful, but a little bit more routine. And then in the last couple you, uh, couple weeks, it feels like years, in the last couple of weeks, I, I found myself feeling like I, I, I'm, I'm over this. I, I'm kind of over this. I really want to be back with the community of the church. And, and, and I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. In fact, I think that we should be in a position where we are missing the community of the church, where we are missing the body of believers around us because that is what the church is. The church by its very nature is a communal organism. It is a life of community. I think sometimes we think that You know, one day we just kind of woke up and we decided that we were a follower of Jesus and you were a follower of Jesus and we kind of shared similar values and we both uh, agreed that we believe that the Bible is God's inerrant word. And so we thought, well, we should just hang out together and we should be in a community. But the church is so much more than that. We are in community because that is how God created the church to be. We are the body of Christ and we are members of this body. And and being a part of the church, if you're a follower of Christ, that's not optional. That's not just kind of like some days we wanna be part, some days we don't wanna be part. You are part of the church. And what we're gonna see today in Acts chapter five is that the church is valuable to the heart of God deeply valuable to the heart of God and you are precious to the heart of God. So if you'll turn to Acts chapter five with me, in fact, I'm actually gonna start us in Acts chapter four. And of course the verses will be up on the screen, but I am old school. I like to have something in my hand. I like to be able to look down and see the verses. So we're gonna start in Acts chapter four and we're gonna look at verse 32. And this is what Luke says, says to us and how he describes what was going on at the church at the time. Now, the entire group of those who believed were of one heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but instead they held everything in common. With great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was on all of them. For there was not a needy person among them, because all those who uh, owned lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. This was then distributed to each person as any had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus by birth, the one the apostles called Barnabas, which is translated son of encouragement, sold a field he owned, brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And now we'll look at chapter five. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property However, he kept back part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge and brought a portion of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Ananias, Peter asked, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds of the land? Wasn't it yours while you possessed it? And after it was sold, wasn't it at your disposal? Why is it that you planned this thing in your heart? You have not lied to people, but to God. When he heard these words, Ananias dropped dead, and a great fear came on all who heard. The young men got up, wrapped his body, carried him out, and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Tell me, Peter asked her, did you sell the land for this price? Yes, she said, for that price. Then Peter said to her, why did you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Instantly she dropped dead at his feet. When the young men came in, they found her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Then great fear came on the whole church and all who heard these things. This passage is what some scholars refer to as a miracle of judgment. And when Pastor Jeff asked me if I would take Acts chapter 5, I was super excited because I love the book of Acts and I didn't realize that in the book of Acts was where this miracle of judgment is. And I would much, much rather teach on a miracle of healing or a miracle of transformation or a miracle of resurrection. But this is, for better or for worse, this is a miracle of judgment. And maybe for some of you who are listening today or you're tuning in today, maybe you're like, this is exactly why I left the church years ago. This is exactly why I left religion years ago, because Religion and Christianity is all about fear and it's all about judgment and it's all about punishment and it's all about waiting for the other shoe to drop. And that's why I got out of here a long time ago. I hope that if that's you, that you'll stick with me through this text today because while this is a miracle of judgment and while the judgment for sin is real, it is also in direct correlation to God's love for his church. The judgment is in direct correlation to how much he values you and how much he values me and how much he values the community and the sanctity of the church. In other words, think about it like this way, even our, uh, our, our, our uh, judicial society, uh, if, if you murder someone, the consequence is a lot worse for murder than it is for shoplifting and that's because the value of a human life is far greater than that of a pair of jeans or a pair of shoes. God's judgment, yes, it is present here, but if this story is about God's judgment, I believe it is even more about his love for the church. So I want to I want to just kind of dissect a little bit of the sin of Ananias and Sapphira here so we can better understand it because yes, they lied. And maybe you can think of a lot worse lies than the one that they uh, told here about holding back part of the, the proceeds from their field. But I want you to see that there's a lot more to it than just, than just telling a on the spot spur of the moment lie. And that's why I wanted to start back in chapter four. Did you notice that in chapter four, verse 34, it says that there was not a needy person among them because all those who owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. And then it says that this was then distributed to each person as any had need. Now, this is interesting to me because it says that there's not a needy person among them at the time. And the reason that there was no one who was needy was because everybody who was part of the church at the time was selling what they had and they were giving it to those who were in need. And so we see here that the sin of Ananias and Sapphira was a sin that directly affected those in need. And the needy are dear to the heart of God, which we're gonna see in just a moment. Not only did their sin affect those in need, but it also affected the trustworthiness of the community of the church. Uh, There was a real breach in honesty here. There was deception here. I want you to look down chapter five. Look at this again where in verse four it says, wasn't it yours while you possessed it and after it was sold, wasn't it at your disposal? Why is it that you planned this thing in your heart? You have not lied to people, but to God. Do you see the deception that was here? And we know that there is no possibility of any community thriving if there is deceit or deception that is inside the community. This is one of the things that I think so often people will sometimes come against the church and they'll say, you know, it's just not honest or there's not integrity there. And I just want you to know that that is not the heart of God the heart of God is that we would be people of honesty and that we would be people of integrity. Um, this issue just kind of uh, rose up for me just in the last 24 hours. I was putting this message together and then you know, I realized that I'm taking this class in my in seminary right now and I realized that I had missed something on the syllabus. And it wasn't like a huge deal, but it was kind of an honor system and I could say that I had done all the reading that I, you know, was supposed to do, that I was gonna make up, and it's kind of this whole thing, but I could have kind of easily said that I had done it. But I was reading this passage and I thought, you know, that's probably not really honest. And so I, I went back to my professor and I, I basically just came clean and I was like, look, I, I know I could say that I did all this reading, but I actually misunderstood the syllabus. And if you just give me a couple more days I can get the reading done, and just wondering if that would be okay. And he was super gracious, and he came back, and he said, "Yeah, no, that's totally fine." And so, for whatever it's worth, for the next 48 hours, all I'm going to be doing is reading theology books and and catching up on my reading. But it was one of those things that every time I went to just submit and say yes, yes, I did it, yes, I did all the reading. This this passage just kept coming to mind, and it wasn't it wasn't like a legalistic thing. It was that man, I. I I just, I want to be someone of integrity, not to be self-righteous, not at all to be self-righteous, but so that I don't impede the work of the spirit in in my life. And I know some of you guys are thinking, oh my gosh, if that is her like big dishonest sin that she was gonna maybe like fudge how many Bible books that she had read, like gross. But let me just tell you, if you were to come over to my house and if we were getting a cup of coffee together, I, I would be happy to share with you not to exalt any sin in my past, but I'd be happy to share with you more than you would want to know about how the Lord has forgiven me and what he's done in my heart. And I love walking in the peace and in the freedom of that. And that's why I wanna continue to be able to do that. And so this sin of Ananias and Sapphira was a sin that affected the integrity and the trustworthiness of the community of believers. Uh, we also see that it was a sin that had a lot to do with appearances. And this was really interesting to me as I thought about this because I thought, why in the world would Ananias and Sapphira, why would they have lied about this? See, there was nothing, there was no rule that said that everybody had to sell their property and take 100% of the profits and lay it at the apostles' feet for the needy. There was, there was no rule. You didn't have to do that but we see from chapter four that a lot of people were doing that and Barnabas did that. And the only thing I can think is that Ananias and Sapphira were caught up in appearances, that they wanted to look a certain way, that they wanted to either look more righteous and more generous than they actually were, or they wanted to look less sinful and less greedy than they actually were. It was all about trying to keep up with appearances. And this is another thing that I think there's a criticism of the church sometimes is that people come around and they go, you guys are fake. You've got a mask on. You know, you're quick to quote a Bible verse and you're quick to say God's good all the time and all this stuff. And But meanwhile, your life is a disaster or your life is a wreck. And I just want to let you know that according to God and according to Luke and the early church, we are not to be fake. We are not to be generous or to do the right thing for the sake of appearances. We are to do it because we have been changed by the living God. Because He's transformed our hearts. We want to be a community that is authentic. We don't wanna just keep up with appearances. I mean, appearances are, you know, somewhat important. In fact, last night, I was a little bit concerned about having to teach after not having been able to get to the hair salon in who knows how many weeks. And and so I thought, what am I going to do? Like, I need to get my hair cut and colored because I will feel much better about my hair if it is cut and colored. And I really, honestly, I think you will feel much better about my hair if I get this done. And so thankfully, a friend came over, and for four hours last night, she cut and she colored my hair for the sake of appearances. But I was thinking about that this morning and the difference uh, between that kind of appearance and the issue with Ananias and Sapphira is that I'm not fooling anybody here. I mean, you guys know that this is not the exact color of my hair. You know that this is not what it would look like if somebody didn't do something to it. So I'm not fooling anyone here. They had come and for the express purpose of looking like they were more righteous, looking like they were someone that they were not. And I wonder how different this story would have played out if they had simply gone to Peter and just said, man, I gotta tell you, Peter, I'm seeing the rest of the church, I'm seeing the rest of the church community give and just go all in. And I gotta tell you, we're struggling. We as a couple, we're struggling because we've put, our, we've put our hope in this property. We've put our hope and our future in these possessions and, and, and we care about those in need, but we don't care enough about those in need. And will you help us? Will you help walk through this with us? We just wanna be real. We wanna be authentic about where we're at, but we also wanna be real about the fact that we want to follow Jesus Christ. And I think this story would have been a whole lot different if they had come that way. We also see from this text very specifically that not only did they lie, but they didn't just lie to people, they lied to God. See that in this passage, that the sin was not just against people, but it was to God himself, to the Holy Spirit that had just been given to the church. They lied to God, they lied to people. And then did you catch verse nine? Peter says to Sapphira, why did you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? This wasn't just some quick little fib that they just all of a sudden kind of slipped into. This was something that they had planned. This was something that they had, that they, that they had thought about and they had lied directly to the Holy Spirit. And not just that, but they had tested the spirit. What do we learn about the heart of God here? Because again, if we just spent our time thinking about the nature of Ananias and Sapphira's sin and God's judgment on that sin, if we just just took our time and looked at that, I think we would totally miss God's incredible value and love for his church and for his body. And so what does this judgment, what does this miracle judgment tell us about the love of God? And here's what I want us to look at. What do we learn about the heart of God for the church? First of all, we learn that those in need are dear to him. Those in need are dear to him. You all, right now, we are in a time where there are more people in need than I can remember in my entire lifetime. There are people who are in need here and there are people who are in need in other parts of the world. And I praise God for Justice and Mercy International, Rolling Hills uh, mission partner that's working in the country of Moldova and also in the Amazon jungle of Brazil where COVID is just raging right now. I praise God that this is not just our idea to care about the need. I praise God that we see that sins that affect the needy Those are big, that's a big deal to God because God cares about those in need. And I want you to hear this, that if you today, if you are someone who you've lost your job or you're struggling with your health or you're isolated alone, I want you to hear, not because it's my idea, but because this is what we see from this passage, that you are dear to the heart of God and you are dear to his church. We also see that trustworthiness within the church is one of God's top priorities. It is not okay for there to be deceit and and shading of the truth and, and lying and cover up within his church. That is not okay. The very nature of the church is for us to be honest with one another, even when we have sinned or even when we are harboring something that we shouldn't be harboring. We can come toward, to, uh, to the community and we can share and we can get help in our time of struggle. But trustworthiness is a top priority to God. Uh, we see from this text that our God prizes generosity and authenticity. See, there was some measure of generosity. Ananias and Sapphira brought something to the feet of the apostles, but they didn't do it in a way that was authentic. The church needs to be a real place, a real place where during this time, you can share what you're going through and you can be real about it. You've got to have people in your community that you can be real with. And that is the very nature of the church. I can tell you right now that for me, the quarantine hasn't necessarily caused a lot of direct hardship in my life, but it has uncovered a lot in my heart that I did not know was there. It has uncovered some anger, it's uncovered some frustration, it's it's uncovered some fear. You know, some of what I do for a living is to, to do events, and I, I don't know, this is a newsflash for some of you, but this is not a great time to be in the event business. And it was a few weeks ago when all of this was really descending, and I was in my kitchen, and and my mind in my mind i knew that the lord had me i know that he's sovereign i know that he's good but but in like my body i was i was panicking and i was doing the dishes and i was putting dishes in the dishwasher and and literally my my physical heart started skipping beats and i was i was like doing that like how am i going to how am i going to how am i going to do this and how am i going to do that and how am i going to make it and it was so great for me to have the community of believers to be able to call some people and to say, man, will you pray for me? And, and, and boy, I just have to confess my fear right now. I have to confess my anger right now. I've had to apologize more times in the last few weeks just because I'm a little bit more short-tempered. But generosity and authenticity, not just for the sake of appearances, but because our heart has been transformed. That is what is so important to the Lord right now and last in this little section, what do we learn about the heart of God for the church? We also learn that an unhindered relationship with the Holy Spirit is of immeasurable value. Did you catch that in chapter five where where Peter says, Look, you have you, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. See, I think sometimes we think that if we if we sin, or just our kind of, these little habits that we have, these, these, these habits that we're harboring, and we think that if we can, we can just do them in isolation, that, that won't affect anybody but just us. But that's not true. We never sin in isolation. When we sin, it has a direct effect on the Holy Spirit, and it has a direct effect on the people of God. And we want to be conduits of the Holy Spirit right now especially right now as a member of the body of Christ, I want the Holy Spirit to flow through me. I don't wanna impede the work of the Holy Spirit because I'm constantly testing him or because I'm lying to him. Do you see what God values as a result of even the significance of his judgment here? Do you see how precious the church is to him? This is what I want us to see today, that your part in the community of the local church is vital to the heart of God. Your your specific part in the community of the local church is vital to the heart of God. Whether you are a man or a woman or a child, if you are a Christ follower, it's not optional for you to decide whether or not you wanna be part of the community of God. By your spiritual DNA, you are a member of the church and of the body of Christ. You play a part. It's really interesting that scholars pointed out that typically in a male-dominated society, perhaps it would have just been the husband who would have stood in judgment. Perhaps it just would have been Ananias who would have taken the fall here. But in a kind of a strange way, the fact that Sapphira stood on her own and had to give an account for her own life apart from her husband, and also Received that judgment in kind of a strange way. We see how elevated women are in the church. That both man and woman had to stand before God on equal footing. And yes, the judgment was significant, but that was also because her life was significant. His life was significant to the Holy Spirit and to the community of the believers. Your part is so important right now. I would I just wanna urge you, something that has been pressing upon my heart right now is I don't wanna miss this time in the church. I don't wanna impede the flow of the Holy Spirit. I don't wanna keep harboring certain sins. I don't wanna give in to uh, this idea that, that, that um, I just have to kind of put on appearances or put on a show or play church. I wanna have a real vibrant, vibrant relationship with the Holy Spirit so that God can use me in the body of believers right now. And I want that for you too. And please, 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 as you hear this, don't think, oh yeah, what she really means is that somebody else is vital to the church. No, no. If you're a child of God, you, not your husband, not your wife, not your child, not your mom, not your dad, not your aunt, not your uncle, you are vital to the church, to the body of Christ. I want you to see a couple little editorial comments that Luke throws in at the very end of verse five. It says, when he heard these words, Ananias dropped dead. And then Luke says, and a great fear came on all who heard. Verse 11, then great fear came on the whole church and on all who heard these things. This idea of fear is not necessarily cowering in, in fear of God, that when is the other shoe going to drop or when am I going to be judged? It's, a, it's an awe and a reverence of his holiness. Proverbs 9.10 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One, of Jesus, is understanding. So the fear of the Lord in Christian terms is not something to, to be afraid of. But it's actually the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of understanding. And I, I've been thinking a lot about recently how s- when we go through a time like we're in right now, we are fearing a lot of things. Don't think that, 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 that uh, we don't fear things. We, this is showing us what we fear and what we've put our hope in. And this time can also show us what's in our heart. And a lot of us, we're, we're doing some inventory and we're realizing that there are forces that are bigger than us, that are more powerful than us. And some of us are looking at our own lives and we're actually realizing that we need a savior. And some of us right now, we we, we have a, a greater fear and awe of the Lord. But I, I want you to know this, that, that the fear of the Lord isn't meant to make you afraid, but to make you a follower of Jesus. See, as you continue on in chapter five, it shows us that, that uh, Luke tells us that the believers were being added and increasing daily. So more and more people were becoming Christ followers as we go along in Acts chapter five. And I'm just gonna tell you that if, if the fear of God coming on the church at the, at, at the end of our story in, uh, in verse 11, if that fear coming on the whole church, if that was the kind of fear that was just, that we we're just gonna be afraid and just live in judgment and torment all the time, the church would have never grown under those circumstances. But the fear came on the church. And by the way, that that's the first time that word church is, the word ecclesia, it's the first time that that word is used in Acts. And that fear came on the church, but it wasn't a bad fear. It caused them to press in to Jesus Christ. And I just wanna I want to just ask you today that if, if this whole situation that we're in right now, however it has affected you, if you have been so afraid and if it has caused you to think more deeply about your relationship with god i would say that the more that you fear him the less those fears will be they will shrink and they will take their rightful place i love the song amazing grace and i love that one line twas grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved the the the, very thing that teaches us to fear and to teach that teaches us that God is holy and that we are sinners that very grace is the is the very thing that will actually relieve us of fears because we will find Jesus Christ We will find him loving and we will find him good. So even though there was a fear that fell on the church because of this judgment, there's also a drawing closer to Jesus and people entering the community because there is grace to be had there and because God loves his church. I want you to drop down all the way to verse 42, the very end of chapter 5. I couldn't get this verse out of my head. Verse 42, chapter 5, every day in the temple and in various homes, they continued teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Every day, in the temple, in the corporate place of meeting, but also in homes. And how much do we need to hear that today? As we are meeting in homes with family, with dear friends. And they'd come together and every single day they're meeting in the temple, they're in various homes and they continued teaching, that's another big word in Acts 5, teaching and proclaiming this good news that Jesus is the Messiah. And I was thinking, how much do we all want some good news right now? We are longing for good news. And I was thinking about, okay, how does the good news that Jesus is the Messiah or the anointed one or the Christ, the long-awaited Savior, how does that play into where we are today? And how is it that, that they would spend all day teaching and proclaiming this good news i think sometimes we have relegated or we have distilled the good news into i am a sinner jesus christ died for my sin jesus christ rose on the third day and i'm forgiven and i'm going to be in heaven with him and while i totally subscribe to that and i believe that that is true there is no way that you can talk about that every single day over and over and over and over there's no way that you can just teach and proclaim that that, that, that has to, it has to mean more, it has to go further, not to take anything away from the gospel message. But what I mean is, how does that gospel message penetrate all of our lives? How does the good news of the fact that Jesus is Messiah, what does that mean for us? They were talking about it all day, every day. I just began to make a little list and it's the tiniest, tiniest, tiniest little list, but I just just wrote down that because Jesus is Messiah, we no longer have to fear. We don't even have to fear death itself. The good news that Jesus is Messiah does mean our sins are forgiven and that means that we are free of guilt and shame and condemnation and that affects every single part of our lives. It affects our relationships, how we live, how we see ourselves, how we see others. The good news that Jesus is Messiah means that we're filled with the Holy Spirit and we can put on compassion and kindness and gentleness and humility and patience and we can tie all of that together in love. It means that we can take off the sins in our lives that are just drag us down. We're empowered to do that. We're empowered to forgive. We have the presence of Christ with us always. We have a place in heaven that Jesus has already gone to prepare for us. We have a hope that cannot be destroyed. We have an unshakable future. We have the comfort and the consolation of the Holy Spirit. And we have the gift of the body of believers. Church number three today, the greatest gift you can give others right now is to teach and proclaim the good news that Jesus Christ is our savior. And the more time that you spend in the book of Acts and the more time that you spend in scripture, the more you're going to be able to take that good news from just a 15 or 20 second sort of recited presentation. And you're going to be able to talk about how it changes everything for us. I hope that you're taking the time right now to make sure that you're part of the online community on Sundays, that you're jumping into community group, that you're being generous, that you're asking for help as you need it, that you're studying the word of God because the world needs the good news of Jesus. And this is such good news. I know last week, Pastor Jeff said at the end of chapter four, he was like, who wouldn't want to be a part of a church like this where people are coming together and they're giving their all? Who doesn't want to be part of that? We have the good news of Jesus. Last week, I got off the phone with my dear friend, Sarah Rodriguez, who is the national director of of our ministry in the Amazon through Justice and Mercy International, Rolling Hills International Mission Arm, and she's the national director there. By God's grace, she has been put in charge of distributing food to the entire north of Brazil. It's unbelievable how God is using her and as we were about to get on the phone, she goes, all right, Kelly, I got to go. I've got so much going on. And, and she said something that I just hope I don't ever forget in my entire life. She goes, Kelly, it's prime hour. It's prime hour. It is prime hour, church. Let's not test the Holy Spirit. Let's not lie to the Holy Spirit. Let's not compromise the integrity of the church. Let's not hold back. Let's be generous. Let's care for those who are in need. Let's learn what what the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ means. Let's let the fear that might overtake us, let's turn that into fearing God so that it can be the beginning of wisdom and understanding of who Jesus Christ is and so that we can follow him. This is our prime hour. Would you pray with me today? Father, we thank you so much for Acts chapter five and God, it's a hard text because it's severe and the judgment is significant, but it's a hard text because the holiness and the purity and the livelihood and the goodness of the church matters so much to you and it matters so much to us. Father, we thank you that there is grace and that there is forgiveness in Jesus Christ, that there is nothing that we cannot bring, that we can be fully authentic because of who we are in you. And I pray, Lord, that as it is prime hour, that we would not waste this time, that we would not be lazy, that we would not be afraid but that we would lean into the community of the church. We thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.